Hello there, ladies and gents, and this is Todd Stewart, and welcome back to another episode of ITK, otherwise known as In The Know, a dispatch-powered podcast dedicated to highlighting the individuals and companies who create memorable, long-lasting customer experiences. It's my job today to dissect and understand how they're able to consistently wow their customers. And for today's episode, we're talking all things customer experience and product development with the one and only Jeff Avalon, the VP of Business Development at IdeaPaint. So if you don't know what IdeaPaint is, I highly urge you to open up your computer and Google them right now. Nothing is better than drawing on the walls. If you ever did this as a child like I did, now you can do it without getting in trouble. I've used IdeaPaint in every startup I've worked with, and it's really incredible. And Jeff has been a strong catalyst for why this company has grown the way it has. So big question is, who is Jeff? Jeff is an entrepreneur, co-founding many companies such as Today's Catch Catering, Water Dog Lobster Company, Strong Side Sports, and IdeaPaint. And unbeknownst to Jeff, I've always been wanting to pick idea paints brain for a long time so as always grab a pen grab some paper and please enjoy this delightful conversation about customer experience and product development with today's guest jeff avalon well cool all right well welcome everybody welcome back to another episode of in the know we are off-site we are at idea paint today i am with jeff avalon the vp of business development here Super excited for this conversation. Uh, Jeff, how you doing? Doing awesome. All right, so as we transition into this customer experience discussion, uh, I was doing some, some research on you ahead of time and I found this <laughs> gem. It went back uh, a couple years. It actually went back to 2015. It's all good. Okay. So you, you were interviewed by Chiron Global and you said, we know we only had one shot at this, meaning idea paint. So there was nothing throughout our startup that we didn't purposely over-deliver on from the way we pitched to distributors, to investors, the way we rolled out to the market. If you always over-deliver, and this is the part I love, if you always over-deliver, it's going to draw attention and you will likely be successful. Can you give me an example of, of what you meant by that quote? Oh, man. So we... um. Yeah, we we took that to heart and we tried to over deliver with literally everything we did. And it was kind of that like, let's let's surprise and delight any moment we possibly can. Uh, there's many different examples of that. One of our first distributors that we ever met with, we forced the meeting to happen off site at a place that we had previously painted. And we had a muralist come in to map out and storyline the entire presentation on murals on the idea paint walls to show impactful how the product could be. Amazing. So they walked into the room and all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, and see this like epic mural of everything that we're gonna talk about today to really just ingrain them in what the product could do for them versus just viewing it as a paint. It was very important to us to show how powerful the paint could be and the interactions that you could have with it. That's awesome. Another another fun one, and it was probably, what this is almost a, uh, this is probably one of the best examples of trying to over-deliver, um, but was actually the launch of our company. And when we were initially trying to launch the company, we had targeted this trade show that happened June of 2008, and it was the largest architecture and design trade show that happens in the entire world. It happens every year. We still go to it. All of our core clients were going to be there, the target market, exactly the people that we wanted to speak with, and we knew we had to make it amazing. The challenge was is we only had 
about eight weeks to plan it, maybe a hair longer, and had almost no budget against it to start because we hadn't raised money yet. During the planning, we ended up raising money, which gave us a little bit of relief, but still we were under the gun in terms of timelines. The uh, trade show decided to offer us, when we approached them about participating in it, a little booth. And this is a trade show that is in one of the largest buildings in Chicago, the Merchandise Mart. Um, It spans across seven floors. There's thousands of attendees, and they had offered us a booth that was in in the corner of one of the least popular floors. We said, you know, that's just not our style. That's not going to get any attention. That's, you know, this is the launch of our company. We'd previously joked around about hiring like the biggest bands in the world to play this epic event and so forth. And, you know, here we only had like six to eight weeks to plan our launch. So we approached them and said, have you ever sold the walls? And they never had. They had put up signage on them and so forth, but they had never actually sold the walls around the trade show. So we said, tally up all the wall space that you have and we want to buy the wall space. And they said, well, we need you to be in a booth. And we said, well, we'll we'll pay for a booth just to store our stuff, but we're not going to be in the booth. We want to be on the walls. They ended up um, allowing us to sponsor five walls, which was way too small for us. We, we knew that was what we could get at the time, so we took it and we showed up to the trade show and said, we have to come up with some very creative ways to make this even more impactful. Have you ever seen that movie like, where the line is, if you build it, they will come? Like Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. We had this philosophy like, if we built it, they will love it and they'll you know, give us forgiveness later. So we were like, we're not going to ask. We're going to beg for forgiveness later. And we basically hid in the bathrooms at night. And instead of painting five walls, we ended up painting about 45 walls. <laughs> and then we ended up convincing them to allow us to put these Uh, self-built walls outside of the two major entrances of the trade show. Then these little columns of idea paint around the entire building. So one morning they showed up and we had painted all 45 walls and they were incredibly upset. But at the same time, it was beautifully branded and we had done it in a way where it was our brand color in the background and unique designs of idea paint over the top of it. And it really looked beautiful. Clearly we couldn't be more biased but they agreed, it looked awesome. And we had painted the cafes and everything like that, a bunch of different columns. So we basically took over all the walls that we could at this trade show. And they allowed us to do it for the same price and said, you know what, now that they're done, now that they're painted, it looks awesome. And we agree, this is gonna be really cool. We ended up hiring local artists from around Chicago. Basically what we decided to do was staff each wall with a muralist and then a salesperson from our distributor. And the muralist's main goal was to create these incredibly eye-catching murals on the wall and then get all the passers-by to participate. So it was almost like a crowdsourced mural. And then the salespeople were talking about the product. They could you know, try it, write on it, erase it, see the power of the product, see how beautifully it worked. But it was all about like the emotion of how cool these walls were and what they could end up creating. The, the show went off beautifully and we ended up quadrupling our distributors previously record high showroom volume. There was so, mu- so much attention for these walls that one of the ones on the outside of the mart had so many attendees around it watching the murals being made that the fire department was called and had to come. 
Um, and Too dangerous. It, Can't watch the mirrorless. Exa- yeah. Exactly. Too big of a crowd. So <laughs> it really went off awesome. And it was kind of, it was a a decent example of really over delivering on what we were trying to do because we we had a couple days to pull it off. But it all worked out great because, you know, what we ended up creating there was uh, very well received. So now do they have idea paint for life? No. Is so that it's, on, on all it, the walls there? So it's a trade show space. And unfortunately, it got painted over the next day. What? Yeah, it was unbelievable. So we we painted like all these walls and they were so, the designs were so cool. We had whiteboards exploding, creating giant walls of idea paint. Oh, awesome. Like all the, it looks so, so, so cool. And there was another trade show coming in the next week. So they had to repaint over and we were sat there watching it happen, like literally crying. We were oh just like, gosh. oh, what a, what a shame. Uh, well, it was well worth it from your standpoint. They don't know what they missed though. Exactly. Gosh. It was the launch of our company. We had to do it. So I love that story. And, and I think that actually segues pretty nicely into the beginning of idea paint. So when we spoke earlier, you you mentioned that really right from the beginning, you put the customer in the middle and essentially for the first three years of the company's life, you put the product in the hands of some of the best designers and architects uh, really around the globe to learn how they would use your product. Because you guys realized that the ideas that they could bring to the table were the ones that maybe you should listen to and, and move forward with. Why did this process work for you? So, yeah, you're exactly right. That process worked beautifully for us. You know, what, one of the most important things to us as a company still to this day is understanding what we do and don't know, and then being very thoughtful in terms of the way that we engage with our clients and community influencers and so forth in our markets to really decide how we're going to sell and market our brand, but most importantly, develop great product. Because, you know, we can't just sit here and say, hey, we think this and end up coming up with the right solutions. We, you know, we really want to deeply engage our clients and our core users in helping us determine the direction of the company moving forward. That relates exactly to how we ended up launching the, the company. Um, so, you know, the vision of Idea Paint was to inspire the way that people work and learn. We truly believe that the, that the product could inspire collaboration, teamwork, innovation within companies. And, um, you know, it was the dream that someday Nike would be designing their, you know, next shoe designs or Apple, their next products or Facebook, their next algorithm, whatever mm-hmm. it is on idea paint walls. Yeah. And, you know, the, uh, the idea that idea paint, you know, in essence was a paint, but the real story of the brand was how powerful it could be in your space and what it could help you achieve. You know, that was all related to the design of the office and office space design. We knew that nobody at the company was designers. In terms of launching the company and creating the brand and figuring out how we were going to go to market and so forth, we didn't want to go out and publish, hey, this is what we think you should do and here's how you should use Idea Paint to inspire these things. We said, we want the market to tell us. So our mission for the first three to four years of our company was to put the product in the hands of the world's most innovative and creative architecture and design firms around the globe. Was that tough to get it in their hands? Yes and no. So, you know, one of the things that we did was we we benefited from the fact that we were launching an entirely new concept. So it created a lot of interest. The show, uh, the Neocon show that we talked about earlier, created mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of interest. Um, but it was tough because, you know, these people are used to being sold to. 
yes, what we were doing was sales, but really what we were trying to engage with them on was a thoughtful discussion about how they would use our product to enhance the work that they were doing with their clients um, and get their feedback. And taking that approach worked quite well. And we were also very liberal with test product. So we had kind of our, in our minds, we had this kind of thousand room campaign mm-hmm. of we want to get the product in the hands and on the walls of you know the world's best architecture and design firms and have them start playing with it and using it in their day-to-day lives, not using it with their clients, using it themselves. And then we knew that that would end up evolving into using with it with their clients. And then those experiences would come back to us and stories would come back to us. And it would be um, those stories and experiences that we would base, you know, our future marketing, product development and, you know, company strategy on. When you get all of that information and the stories back, how do you sort of sift through all of that noise to find the right signals? Because I can imagine, especially if you're, if you have it on a thousand walls, you're going to get a thousand opinions on your product. Yeah. Like, how do you really find the themes? Um, that's a great question. So I think it's really important that a company doesn't just do um, market research opportunistically. Uh, you know, saying we need to develop a new product. Let's go out and survey the clients and so forth, and we'll come up with our idea. It's important that the company truly lives and breathes the ethos of being customer-driven and to be talking that talk and engaging with them very consistently. So if you and your company and everybody at the company are out in the market with consistency, day to day to day and week to week to week, um, constantly on the ground understanding their needs, you start to just see these patterns emerge. And, you know, in the early days, we had no, no formal process really for how we collected and sifted through. It more looked like we were in the field so consistently that one client would tell us one thing and then we would bounce it off another client. And if they agreed, we would bounce it off another. And these ideas just had momentum. And you start to hear, you know, things with consistency and you're kind of validating it through your conversations with the other clients. And, And then you start to formalize it. Um, but you know, if you're in the market with your clients talking to them all the time, the, you're, you know, you're constantly validating and getting this feedback. And I think the most important thing is to decide when you want to action it because mm-hmm. you can constantly just hear great ideas and then bring them nowhere. Um, but it's important to decide, okay, now's the right time to action. And, and you do that a lot. You mentioned that, that you're constantly, constantly talking to the customer to understand really what are their pain points. I think everybody here has a wonderful, very customer-driven mindset. And so I think everybody here is constantly questioning and working with the clients. And our sales process is a very consultative sales process. So we're constantly picking up on these cues. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, there's a handful of us that are constantly traveling, constantly working with the customers. And you know that, I, I know I speak for many of the folks here, but that's the most fun. You know, that that's... Yeah. That's the pulse of the market. That's the pulse of the customer. You see them using, loving, and engaging with your product. And that's where you know the new ideas come from, and that's where the excitement lies. More on the lines of actually building a business, how do you look for when you're hiring and when you're growing your employee base, people who have that customer-focused mindset? Is that something that you guys actually kind of look for in, in somebody? 
personally, I'm always looking for a curious person. If they're questioning, if they ask you questions in the interview and so forth, I mean, we've all interviewed people where they go through the motions and answer your questions, but they, if they don't seem actively engaged and, and curious about what we're doing or curious about the market or relating to other things that are going on in the market to show that they're curious enough to read up on it, you know, then, then they're probably not curious enough to engage with the customer and ask those questions. So you're kind of looking for that curiosity and that passion. You're also not always looking for, there's a great quote out there, I'll misquote it, but it's about, you know, not always looking for the smartest person in the room, it's looking for the most motivated, Mm because you'd rather inspire a motivated person than try and inspire a smart person. So I think a lot of the the folks that we interview, we're always looking for people that are extremely motivated too, because that usually relates to them being curious and questioning and you know they're the ones that are going to go that extra step with the client to really understand what they need want and so forth so now the meat of everything so customer driven merchandising you mentioned this on the phone beforehand i loved it and so far at Idea Paint, it, it seems that this mindset has created three incredible products. The first being the magnetic portfolio, second being the bounce app, and then third being the mobile line furniture. Let's talk about the magnetic portfolio. So first off, what is it? And then how did this consumer-driven process drive this product? Yeah, so I full transparency. I don't know if customer driven merchandising is a real term or not. Um, it's yours now. I like it. <laughs> it, so, it sounds good. I think, you know, the the most the most important thing, you know, when we talk about customer driven merchandising, the essence of it is listening to the customers and listening to the community and listening to the stakeholders that you're working with. And if you're doing a good job of that, the right ideas will end up coming to the company. You have to be. You have to make sure that they're not stifling it and just giving you kind of small incremental improvements um, and refinements around your core product because you know you have to listen to those too. But you also have to listen to the big ideas, um, and you got to make sure that you don't get trapped just you know refining the simple stuff. But in terms of customer-driven merchandising, we, you know, we've kind of employed that concept with everything that we're doing looking forward for our current and future product portfolio very transparently, we want to invest in the ideas that our customers are excited about. As it relates to the magnetic portfolio, this one was quite simple. You know, every one of our clients, I I almost struggle to mention one that didn't mention it to us. Um, So this is one of the ones where you took that idea, you sent it to another customer and they said, yes, yes, we love that. And they send it to another one and like, we love it. And then you had gold. It was, yeah, exactly. One customer mentions it, another does, another does, another does, and we start talking about it, and it's one of the more exciting things. So almost to a T, every one of our clients ended up saying, hey, we want to make our walls magnetic. And if you think of the the essence of Idea Paint, you know, Idea Paint's all about inspiring collaboration, creativity, dynamic environments, teamwork, innovation, and so forth within the office space. And we want to give our clients as many tools as possible to be able to make that happen and encourage that energy. When we looked at um, the way that spaces were being designed, I'll pick on a very large tech company based out of the Bay Area. Their standard specification in a conference room and also throughout the rest of their space, but mainly in a conference room, they would have one wall that would be writable um, or idea paint, one wall that would have the audiovisual equipment on it, like a TV or a projector. And then another wall that would be tackable, 
usually Quark or Felt or something like that. The big problem for them was it didn't inspire collaboration. All these things were multi, uh, were, were single function areas in the conference room. And the most popular walls, you know, were the idea paint walls, uh, you know. Naturally, right? <laughs> naturally, yeah. yeah. I say that with a smile, of course. But the, <laughs> uh, but the other walls served a very important function. They, they still needed tackable walls. They still needed to hang stuff up. They still needed the TVs and so forth. But the challenge was is having all these broken up onto different walls in the conference room added friction. If you were the one sitting by the tackable wall and you wanted to share your ideas, you had to shuffle around the table to get to the idea paint wall. And it just didn't encourage that fluidity. It also, you know, if I, if I was sitting on the far side of the room and needed to get up and shuffle around the chairs to share my idea, it would have to be an amazing idea for me to go through that process. Because imagine getting up that up there and having that idea failed and you have kind of the walk of shame yeah, back to your chair. Yeah, like, uh, Jeff, what are you walking up for? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in terms of magnetic, it wasn't so much about magnetic. It was more about the way our clients were, were talking about their use of the room and the way that they wanted to use it. And it was really about the design of the room and the design of the space. And it kind of gets back to the architecture and design firms too. And so the need wasn't to make the wall magnetic. The, the need was we need to be able to figure out a way to make the room extremely collaborative. And so we started looking at the design of a conference room and asking the designers, asking our customers and so forth what their needs were. And they said, look, we need to be able to write on every wall, which we're obviously very happy about. But we also need this audiovisual equipment and to be able to get sheets of paper and plans and designs up on the wall. Um, but we need to be able to write on every wall so that everybody around the table can participate. We need to keep create that 360 degree environment for them to be able to work and share their ideas with. Um, but we have these other needs too. So we went back and said, okay, well, the other needs are audiovisual, hang sheets of paper, and uh, so forth on the walls. What are ways that we can achieve that? And part of that was cork accessories on the wall. Part of it was making the walls magnetic. Some of it was like felt accessories on the wall, a bunch of different ideas. And then we brought those ideas back to our clients and started to talk to them about the different solutions we could potentially offer. And the one that worked out well was, hey, if you guys can make a wall dry erasable and magnetic, um, then that's the big win. Um, all these other accessories ideas are good, not great. And so that was our marching orders. And then we scoured the earth to figure out the best way to do that. And we came up with two solutions that we have in the market now. They've been very popular. They represented almost 10% of our sales last year um, in year one, which was good. I love that. So you, you get the ideas from everybody, what the pain points, how they use the room itself, and then you filter it right back to them and say which one's the best. Exactly. And to, to your point, uh, to you know, a point that we talked about earlier too, in terms of sifting and prioritizing the feedback, some of the first feedback that we heard from the clients was, hey, we want a way to be able to tack sheets of paper to these walls. And so it was. It could have been solved by rolling out a line of cork accessories, which mm -hmm. we might do someday. Yeah. Um, still a great idea. Um, but you know, it was really the important thing in terms of the you know the aha moment and moving it forward was to get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem was they needed to create a multifunctional surface around the entire environment that allowed their walls to still be writable, and it was all grounded in 
creating a collaborative conference room. Mm. Um, and I think if we had stopped at kind of those incremental feedback points, we might not have gotten to the solution that really resonated with the client the best. Um, and it was getting to that um, it was getting to that point where we understood their true needs, came up with a couple solutions, and brought it back to them. That really created the uh, the product that we ended up launching. So take me through the progression of your Bounce app. I think this is a, an awesome idea. And so we personally use Idea Paint every single day. And, and this is something that we always say, oh, like, like you take pictures, take pictures. And this app is perfect for that. It allows for that collaboration of people who are not in the room. So how did the customer inspire the creation of the Bounce app? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. The Bounce app really did come out of a, a lot of very customer-inspired conversations. And um, it, it's one of my favorite examples of the customers being really worked into the process. So the Bounce app, um, if you haven't used it yet, it's really all about seamlessly connecting the digital and physical worlds to really make, uh, really help you drive action out of the ideas that you've thought of on your idea paint walls. And, you know, we find it very fascinating because as, as we went out and talked to a lot of our clients, many of our clients are some of the world's most tech-centric and tech-forward companies. They're all the big names that you would recognize. And these are people that are creating the, the world's most innovative technology companies out there. But yet, they're using a very analog product to help inspire those ideas. And we, we love it. Um, so one, one thing as we're, as we're talking to a lot of these clients, they, they all say a very similar thing. Um, the, the best ideas typically start in the physical world. It's all about fluidity. It's the quickest way from your brain to the piece of paper or to the idea paint wall. And, uh, one of the reasons why they love idea paint is because it, it allows them to collaborate very seamlessly together in a very fluid manner. And it drives all the friction out of that process of working together and getting their ideas out. You know, that's where a lot of their ideas start. That's where a lot of their code starts. That's where the wireframes start. That's where their frameworks of thinking start. All those things. And then from that point on, it's all about driving action out of them. And they want to memorialize those in a way that they can relate back to. When we started talking to our clients about that specific need and more importantly, how they interacted with our product, they all said a very similar thing. One, they used Idea Paint to help inspire that thinking. Um, so it was a critical element of both the new idea generation, but also the timelining, the mapping, the wireframing. But intermixed in that process is a is a need to memorialize it and to um, bring those concepts into the digital world to make sure that they're shareable and so forth. But they had a challenge. And that was, how do they capture those ideas and create action out of them? And we, we stepped back and said, huh, what are they doing now? And a number of clients were literally ending a meeting, and they had filled up all four walls around the room with ideas. And then they, they were stuck sitting there taking notes. Mm -hmm. and which, which your walls are supposed to get rid of, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so they would literally sit in the room for a couple minutes after the meeting or more, transcribing everything that happened onto notes or typing it up in a Word document or something. 
And we were like, well, that that just that just seems silly. That's a that's adding friction to this whole process. And then those notes are stuck on somebody's notepad, and everybody has different notes and yeah. so forth. Yeah. And so there's no one home for all this great content that they just created and all of these great ideas and so forth. The idea for Bounce came from the most natural thing. The the phone that was in everybody's pocket, you could take a picture of the wall with. And the trouble is if you take a picture with the wall, it ends up that that person doesn't share the photo or something like that, or the photo gets lost or nobody resurrects it for the next meeting and so forth. So we said, huh, why don't we just create a very simple app that organizes these pictures into workflows and you know, see if that provides some increased utility. And we started bouncing that, no pun intended, <laughs> but we started bouncing that idea off our clients. And they said, huh, well, that'd be interesting if you ended up creating an app that organized these things, you know, these pictures into workflows, that everybody could submit the pictures to them, everybody would have access to them and so forth. It'd be great because what we would do is end up reviewing those before the start of the next meeting. We would end up not doing rework. And then we could end up having a singular home for these workflows and these projects and so forth versus having everybody have their own separate notes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we ended up creating the app. And through the process, we involved the customer constantly. So while while we were in development of the app um, with our partner on at Hill Holiday, we ended up talking to our different clients saying, hey, here's what we're embarking on. Here's what we're doing. What features are important? One of our nightmares is, is all these pictures just get into the app and then the conversation dies. Mm-hmm. We want the conversation to keep going. And, you know, when you think, start thinking about collaboration, it really is all about momentum and fluidity and taking friction out of the process and so forth, because those things all, all impede action. And action is the end result of, you know, any idea. Awesome. And now we have Bounce app. Now we have Bounce. Finally, the third product that uh, I've really been looking forward to, to talking about is your mobile line, the, the, the furniture line. I just saw it. It's awesome. It oh, looks thanks. so slick. I think this is the most interesting one out of them all. How does, in this case, how does customer experience relate to the mobile line? I, I think that this is this is going to be a good story. <laughs> yeah. So this is a really fun one. The new, the new mobile line is definitely a, um, a customer-driven uh, concept that we ended up launching just last year. And um, we're bringing it to market now. So quite simply, the, the current product line are is two beautifully designed um, pieces of furniture. One's a mobile whiteboard, and the other is a mobile whiteboard that pivots into a writable bar height table. Um, they seem like two very simple products, but there's a lot of things in the thought process of what those products are that was driven by the customers and are totally dynamic and totally different and totally new for our industry. So these concepts came about because over the years, many of our largest clients had a desire to start using idea paint on their furniture. And it was really pretty cool. It was really fun because, you know, if you look at the trend of current office space, the walls are coming down, more open floor plan is out there. And it ends up putting more pressure on the different items that you find through the office. Mm-hmm. And Idea Paint, you know, we're very fortunate that we end up participating very well into this trend 
because as as all the walls come down, which is ironic because you would think that you know those would be painted with idea. <laughs> yep, yep. But as those walls have come down, it's created a need for very collaborative space throughout the entire floor plan, not just the conference rooms. We end up seeing that idea paint is utilized in the conference rooms, in the remaining private offices, but also throughout the entire open floor plan, in between the windows, the columns, the other walls throughout the space. And we see a lot of these very impromptu collaborative spaces designed into the floor plans. You're still left, though, with large amounts of open space. And this was really highlighted with a very large um, tech company on it. And they had just embraced a extremely large open floor plan space, and they were having a challenge. One is their conference rooms were constantly clogged. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other was, is that nobody in the open floor plan was working together. They were all working very individually because if they needed to work together, they had to go find a conference room. Mm-hmm. And that could be far away. It could be booked or something like that, which are all friction points. So this tech company said, look, we love our new office. However, we need ways for people to very easily collaborate. First solution was... They ended up painting all their hallways and other areas with court, with idea paint. The columns in between the windows and everything like that. And now you created just ad hoc spaces for people to work. The conference room congestion came down. It ended up creating more of a buzz throughout the office. People enjoyed it and it was a wonderful solution. But they still needed more. So they started painting their conference tables. They started painting their desks, file cabinets and things like that. But all of these customers started asking us for mobile whiteboards. And mobile whiteboards are a concept that have been out there forever, um, for a real long time. And did you even think about that ahead of time? Or this was all of a sudden, now that the customer said this, now you're like, huh? Well, so we knew they were out there. And we've all seen mobile whiteboards. They're, they're in schools, they're in offices and so forth. And you typically know them because they're very large, they're flimsy, they're usually very low design, um, but they're there. They're something that I would say almost every one of Idea Paint's clients has multiple of. So our clients are asking us to recommend different product lines out there on the market. And you know what we're recommending is falling short. Why don't we just design our own? From a customer-driven merchandising standpoint or a customer experience standpoint, we said, you know what, for this project, why don't we actually try and work with one of our clients or partners? So typically when you would design a piece of furniture, you would go out and hire an industrial designer. And we said, well, that seems really silly because, you know, we're not really designing a product. Our, our product is going to go into a space, and it's more important that we think about it from a space design perspective. So one of our, um, one of our favorite uh, clients and partners, his name's Primo Orpilla. He founded um, O Plus A Design um, or O Plus A Studios out in San Francisco. He was one of our largest partners dating back to 2010. And we first met him when he designed Idea Paint beautifully into a uh, AOL's headquarters, mm-hmm. and it was one of the mo- one of our favorite installations. Still is. Since then, he used us at Uber, Facebook, Nike, Yelp, Open Table, a number of others. And one of the things that really impressed us with him and his team was the thoughtfulness in which they went about their projects, and the thoughtfulness in terms of how they really were enhancing the space with our core product idea paint. And they really did a wonderful job of it. They worked it into the designs in a really beautiful way. 
So we approached Primo and said, hey, we see you've designed some products in the past, but you're a power user of IdeaPaint. You and your team clearly get the essence of the product, and you have taught us so much through your projects over the years. We would love to work with you to design a product line that is really about collaborative tools for the office space. And take these mobile whiteboards over here that have a lot of pain points, bar height tables, screens, all these other kind of like ancillary items. Let's come up with a collection and design it and, and, and launch it. Him and his team were so excited about it because it was a chance to really put their you know, stamp on a new product line that was really hitting on a mega trend that was out there. I'm happy to say the product ended up turning out beautifully. It, it's won multiple awards since it launched. You know, One of our favorite things about the line itself, though, was that it really was a result of the feedback that we got from the customers. The, the feedback that we got from the customers and the requests that we got from them created the initial idea, validated the fact that there was an open category here that would be you know where there was a true product need. And then most importantly, we teamed up with one of the leading designers in, in the workplace to end up creating the line. And um, that's resonated well with the entire market because, you know, our market is workplace design Mm -hmm. and um, and having somebody from that market partner and team with us to bring it to life really ended up working well because they thought about it not just from a product design perspective, but how it would really interact with our core product idea pain in the office. Yeah, it's really looking like from all of our initial interactions with the clients that, you know, we were able to achieve the goal of creating a holistic solution between these two products and core idea paint. Um, and I don't think that would have been possible if we didn't, if we didn't end up partnering with a workplace designer to think through, okay, we have idea paints core product over here. What are these other lines that would be meaningful to the workplace and how do they blend together to create a very thoughtful line? So final two questions. The first one is, obviously, you are a master of involving the customer in in helping craft your brand. Uh, If you were to pitch to a company who currently is not really involving the customer in anything, what would be like your quick little 30-second pitch to them to say, you guys should focus on the customer experience a little bit more? Well, I think, you know, if... If somebody's currently not involving the customer, that's an issue. You need to be in front of your customers all the time, living and breathing the product with them, understanding how they're using it, what their pain points are, what they're enjoying. What they're enjoying you want to amplify, their pain points you want to solve, and the new ideas that are the big ideas that are going to be new product lines or areas of business for you are going to come out of those interactions. And if you stay stay in your silo and you're not out there working with them, those types of things might happen or you might come up with new products and new ideas and so forth and they'll be successful. But I would argue they'd probably be slower and less impactful. So I like to finish up these episodes with something I call uh, If I Only Knew. And it's your chance to sort of reflect on your successful career and say, you know, how did I implement customer experience into the company? Um, what is something that, that you wish you knew earlier on that you sort of figured out now? I don't know if I wish I knew it or wish we embraced it a little bit more from the start is business is not just business. It's very human. Customers are not just customers. They can be partners. They can be investors. They can be advisors. They can be anything. And you know, from a human standpoint, these are just people that are engaging with your company because they're interested. 
you know, you, you shouldn't look at them just as a customer. You know, you should look at them as somebody that's interested in doing business with you and doing business with your concept. You should look at the different ways in which you can enhance that relationship, bring more value to them and bring more value to you. The, the mobile line is a perfect example where, you know, Primo and O plus A have turned into wonderful friends and partners and so forth um, over the years. And they're, they've, uh, it's been a wonderful relationship and a treat to work with them. You know, we didn't look at them as a customer. We looked at them as a true thought leader and partner. And um, it's blossomed into a great relationship and now what looks to be a very exciting and successful new product line. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thanks for joining today. This was an excellent, excellent conversation. To everybody listening, you can find out more about Jeff. You can find out more about Idea Paint. Just head over to the Dispatch blog. That is blog.dispatch.me. We will have all the links there. And once again, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. If you want to learn more about customer experience, head over to the Dispatch blog, that is blog.dispatch.me, or give Jeff a shout at J-A-V-A-L-L-O-N at ideapaint.com. Remember to subscribe to In The Know on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. If you liked this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. And as always, thanks for joining, and guess what? We'll see you next episode.